Welcome to Choate's post Roe v. Wade podcast series, hosted by a multidisciplinary team of attorneys discussing the Supreme Court overturn of Roe v. Wade and its impact on employers, professionals, healthcare providers, data and privacy service providers, educational institutions, and investors. Hello, and welcome back to all of our listeners today. I'm Christine Savage, co-chair of the firm's healthcare group. With me today is Joan Lukey, co-chair of the Complex Trial and Appellate Litigation Practice at Choate. As you likely know by now, the recent Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court overturned both Roe v. Wade and Casey, holding that there is no constitutional right to abortion and returning to individual states the issue of whether and under what circumstances to permit abortions. Our focus today is the potential impact of the recent Dobbs decision and new state laws restricting or banning abortions on colleges, and universities, as well as medical schools and residency programs across the country. We'll talk a bit about operational impacts resulting from changes in the law, as well as potential litigation risks and risk mitigation strategies. Let's start off by talking about efforts by some college campuses to preserve student access to abortion services. By way of example, California passed a law in 2019 mandating that public universities provide medical abortion services at campus health centers. And it's our understanding that Massachusetts is considering legislation that would enact a similar mandate here. Joan, what are some of the hidden legal risks that colleges and universities need to be thinking about if they're in a state with this kind of mandate, or even if they don't have a mandate? Well, Christine, the concern here is with something called extraterritorial jurisdiction, which some states have indicated that they will try to enforce. That would mean that a restrictive state, such as Texas, could attempt to fine or penalize medical care providers or the university that employs them in a state that permits abortion care, such as California, for services provided to a student from Texas. Now, it's very unlikely that a California medical provider would be found criminally responsible for following the mandate laws of his or her own state. But it's a bit less clear what would happen in a civil lawsuit when uh, Texas's assertion of extraterritorial jurisdiction over California residents bumps head on into California mandates for its own residents. And just to be clear, extraterritorial jurisdiction is when a state passes a law that it tries to apply to conduct in another state. Now, that generally has been disfavored, but frankly, the law is murky. The most difficult cases where a university operates in, say, Massachusetts, uh, but runs an adjunct campus or perhaps a specific program in a restrictive state. Abortions, of course, can't be performed at the adjunct campus if they're forbidden by law in that state. But there would be a risk to the university and its care providers if a student in the restrictive state, let's say Texas again, traveled to the Massachusetts campus where the medical care was provided. Christine, I think that Massachusetts has an executive order that also addresses licensure concerns that you raised in an earlier podcast episode. Do I have that right? Yes, Joan, that is right. Uh, Providers have had a concern now for some time that states might be required to or elect to take adverse action against a healthcare provider's license based on their performance of abortion services for individuals, like you mentioned, traveling from states where those services are banned or subject to significant restrictions. The Massachusetts governor's executive order, which was issued almost immediately following the Dobbs decision, makes clear that healthcare professionals in Massachusetts will not be disqualified from licensure or subject to discipline here based on a judgment, discipline, or sanction imposed by another state 
related to their provision of reproductive health services or assisting others in the provision of those services, so long as they are ones that would be legal in and consistent with medical practice in Massachusetts. The same executive order also states that Massachusetts executive agencies will not cooperate absent a court order with other states' investigations of or requests for documents related to reproductive health services, and they will not facilitate extradition of individuals to states seeking to impose civil or criminal liability on them for providing or assisting somebody in securing those services. Well, let me shift gears a little bit, Christine, and ask you this. How are medical schools and residency programs going to manage the education of students, residents, in an environment where at least half the states will significantly restrict, if not completely ban, abortions? It's a great question, Joan. For good or ill, it's something that many programs have been managing for years due to the restrictive laws that already existed or institutions that simply didn't provide those services on moral or religious grounds. Historically, training opportunities in this area were addressed via what's known as the Ryan program, and that finds rotations for students or residents out of state to get them the training that they cannot get at their home school or home institution. But given the number of state laws that have or will soon ban or severely restrict access to abortion, it's now estimated that approximately 45% of residency programs and slots for OBGYNs are located in states where this training will now be impossible or significantly limited. And finding Ryan program slots for students and residents under those circumstances may no longer be a viable option. And in turn, that's going to create a few new issues for schools and residency programs to contend with. For one, ACGME accreditation for OBGYN programs currently requires training on abortion services. And absent a shift or more likely litigation, programs in states that will no longer offer this training risk losing the accreditation of their program. That in turn may make it more difficult for residency programs to attract highly qualified candidates, cause them to lose eligibility for Medicare reimbursement for graduate education services and the like. Second, schools and programs in states that continue to permit abortion may wish to take steps to ensure that their students are committed to becoming trained in and willing to provide those services when called upon to do so. And already we've seen at least one institution, the University of Washington, require residency applicants in OBGYN services to certify that they are committed not only to learning about, but to providing abortion services. Joan, I can imagine that policies similar to the one that I just described might itself lead to litigation, right? You are right, Christine. I would counsel any medical school or residency program, and particularly one that happens to be located in a state that restricts abortions, to think carefully before it proceeds with any program that requires students to certify a commitment to providing abortion services. In a restrictive state, the problem would be that such a requirement could be challenged and could be held to be contrary to public policy. Even in states that protect reproductive rights, a medical school could face a religious discrimination case with a mandate of that type. The best way to to protect the medical school is simply to require students to complete some degree of coursework on the subject in order to graduate or to opt out for specific moral or religious reasons. So one other point worth raising is the fact that the procedures used for elective abortion are largely, and in some cases, exactly The same as those that are used to manage ectopic pregnancies, incomplete miscarriages, or terminations for medical reasons. And as a result, in many states, 
there will remain a lingering tension between satisfying the need to train, at least didactically, on how to manage these reproductive health needs, which are frankly often emergencies, and the potential inability to provide students or residents with hands-on experience managing reproductive health care needs. This is of particular concern when you consider that many medical students and residents don't stay in the state in which they train, meaning that providers trained in restrictive states may end up moving to a state that expects them to already know how to perform these procedures, only to learn subsequently that they do not. And this applies to a much broader group of physicians than just OBGYNs. It impacts emergency medicine physicians, general surgeons, and family practitioners, among others. Joan, how important do you think the litigation risk will be to schools that insist on training on a full range of reproductive health services, including abortions, and conversely to those that eliminate or severely restrict what they tell and demonstrate for their students? Well, in restrictive states, there may well be a few lawsuits seeking to preclude medical schools or residency programs from imposing an abortion services educational requirement if no opt-out is provided to students. If the issue is reframed, however, as one focused on equipping trainees to understand when it is necessary to and how to save the life of the mother in a reproductive health emergency, for example, in ectopic pregnancy, which, by the way, is something we expect every state will continue to allow, it may be more likely that the educational requirements would survive a legal challenge. The lack of available or accessible training for those medical students, residents, and restrictive states may lead to other downstream consequences, at least in the short run. Students or residents may look to transfer to new schools or seek reimbursement for tuition if they aren't getting the education they thought they signed up for. There's also the possibility that schools with more limited curricula will become less desirable and universities will need to consider the continued viability of their training programs particularly in OBGYN services. For those students and residents already in programs in restricted states, a lack of comprehensive training may cost them valuable fellowship slots or job opportunities that are contingent on the breadth and depth of their training and could lead to other types of litigation. Well, I think we've left our college and university clients with a lot to think about. So we thank everybody for listening and we hope you found this to be valuable. For more information, please visit www.choate.com. You can also listen to additional podcast episodes in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The information presented in this recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice for a specific situation. If you wish to obtain legal advice, you should retain an attorney and explain the facts of your particular situation.